Our reading from Isaiah this morning is taken uh, from the last part of chapter 65 and the last part of chapter 66. And if you'd like to follow in your, pub- in your church Bibles, you'll find it on page uh, 753. 753, reading chapter, first of all, chapter 65, verses 17 to 25. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy On all my holy mountain, says the Lord. And now we move to chapter 66 and start from verse 17 to verse 24. Those who consecrate and purify themselves to go into the garden, following one who is among those who eat the flesh of pigs, rats, and other unclean things, they will meet their end together, With the one they follow, declares the Lord. And I, because of what they have planned and done, am about to come and gather the people of all nations and languages, and they will come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them, and I will send some of those who survive to the nations, to Tarshish and to the Libyans and Lydians, famous as archers, to Tubal and Greece, and to the distant islands that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. They will proclaim my glory among the nations, and they will bring all your people from all the nations to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord, on horses, in chariots and wagons, and on mules and camels, says the Lord. They will bring them as the Israelites bring their grain offering to the temple of the Lord in ceremonially clean vessels. And I will select some of them 
also to be priests and Levites, says the Lord. As the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure. From one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. And they will go out and look on the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. The worms that eat them will not die. The fires that burn them will not be quenched. And they will be loathsome to all mankind. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Roger. Let's start praying. Father, we pray that you would enable us better to understand your plan of salvation and to respond in faith and commitment to you. Amen. The basic issue that Isaiah has been considering in his book is people's rebellion against God. We heard this last week. Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. That's from Isaiah chapter 59. And Isaiah has said time and again that God is going to intervene. He's going to come in both judgment and salvation. Last week, we looked at judgment. This week, we turn to salvation. At the end of the introduction to the book, in chapter 2, Isaiah gave us a glimpse of a transformed world where people live at peace under God. And in the succeeding chapters, he enlarges upon that, particularly in chapters 11, 25 and 35. And we've had sermons on all of those chapters. But it's not until the conclusion of the book that he finally makes express what has been implicit in these previous chapters. God is going to recreate the universe. I will create new heavens and new earth, he says. Now, down the ages, Christians have debated whether God will literally start again or whether he will renew what exists. The Bible doesn't tell us precisely what will happen. But some things are clear. It's clear that there will be elements of continuity. God's people, for example. And it's also clear that there will be elements of discontinuity. In particular, sin and all its direct and indirect consequences will be gone. And the result will be that that new world will be radically different. Let's start first with the fall. The effects of the fall will be reversed. You may remember that back in Genesis chapter 3, we are told that following Adam and Eve's rebellion against him, God pronounced a curse. This is part of that curse. To Adam, the Lord God said, 
Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return. You see, in the world at the moment, we endure burdensome labour, and sometimes that labour is in vain. And in any event, it all ends in death. That's the present. But in the recreated new earth, verse 23 of our reading, they will not labour in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. And again in verse 20, never again will there be in Jerusalem an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. Two things about that. First of all, in that passage, Jerusalem is the symbolic centre of God's world. Secondly, and perhaps more importantly, Isaiah is not saying in the new world people will live a lot longer, but they'll still die. Uh, He's already said back in chapter 25 that death will be swallowed up, to use his phrase. Death won't exist anymore. Now what he's saying here is that uh, things that we today would consider a sign of a full and blessed life living to a hundred, for example, will in the new earth be considered dreadful misfortunes because something so much better is there, eternal life. There is, however, just one point to draw your attention to. In verse 25, there is an allusion to Genesis 3. It says, dust will be the serpent's food. That's part of the curse pronounced on the serpent. Perhaps what it's saying there is there's just a hint that the curse on sin and the causes of sin will remain. But the critical thing is it will no longer affect people. Second half of verse 23, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they're still speaking, I will hear. That phrase translated, they will be a people blessed by the Lord, is literally, they will be a seed blessed by the Lord. It's an allusion to Genesis 17, where God says that he will bless Abraham and his seed forever. And that promise will be fulfilled when Isaiah's vision of this new earth is fulfilled. And the result of that, of course, is that people will be happy. End of verse 19. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in Jerusalem no more. And they'll be secure. Verse 21. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. 
and there'll be nothing to disturb the peace, verse 25. The wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. When God finished the original creation, he looked at it and saw that it was very good. And the same will be true of the new earth. Verse 18, be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. And of course, the new earth will last forever. The new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, we heard towards the end of our reading. It's a tremendous uh, future to look forward to. And we really ought to meditate on that passage, make sure we've absorbed it and got hold of it. But it does give rise to a vital question. Who will inhabit the new earth? Well, first of all, Isaiah says that there will be Israelites there. Of course, he's warned of terrible judgment on the Israelites for their rebellion against him. But throughout the book, he constantly reassures them that there will be some survivors of that judgment, a remnant. This comes from earlier in chapter 65. As when juice is still found in a cluster of grapes and people say, do not destroy it, there's still blessing in it. So will I do on behalf of my servants. I will not destroy them all. I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah, those who will possess my mountains. My chosen people will inherit them, and there will my servants live. So there will be Israelites there. And also, there will be people from all nations. Isaiah said that again throughout the book. Uh, Chris quoted it earlier, I am about to come and gather the people of all nations and languages and they will come and see my glory. In fact, God says, he will make himself known to people who previously could not care less about him. Beginning of chapter 65, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I, here am I. The Apostle Paul quotes that in Romans chapter 10 uh, with reference to the turning of the Gentiles to God. Its fulfilment, of course, began with the spread of the gospel following the resurrection of Jesus. And its outworking will be complete when Isaiah's vision here is fulfilled. But I still haven't answered my question. Who will inhabit the new earth? Not generally, which people, but who specifically? Well, Isaiah has answered that as well, hasn't he? This is chapter 59, verse 20. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins. That, of course, is addressing the Israelites, but Isaiah has made it clear that it's true of everybody. The people who will inhabit the new earth are those who repent. You see, the fundamental problem of humanity is rebellion against God. And the fundamental solution 
requires repentance. Uh, Repentance involves acknowledging that we have rebelled against God, accepting that we have disobeyed his commands and that we have failed to give him our allegiance. And having done that, saying sorry, turning back to him and giving him that previously withheld allegiance. And to use the words of Isaiah from our reading last week, if we do that, then we will become part of the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, as he calls us. The Bible indicates there are many aspects to redemption. Isaiah highlights the three key ones in his book. First of all, we are forgiven and accepted as righteous by God. Second, in consequence of that, we are saved from the judgment of God on those who've rebelled against him. And third, following that judgment we are accepted as inhabitants of the new earth. And although he doesn't say that, say all of this in this passage, it's clear that in relation to each one of those three aspects of redemption, a key role is played by God's anointed saviour. The saviour who Isaiah has been talking about frequently as the book has progressed, the Messiah. Jesus, in other words. You see, Jesus acts to secure our forgiveness and righteousness. Jesus comes as judge to usher in the new world we're reading about today. And Jesus will be the ruler of that new world. Uh, Let's for a few moments just pull back from today's passage and think about what we've read in relation to those three things in recent months. First of all, forgiveness and righteousness. Isaiah has said that God's suffering servant will act as uh, 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 the substitute for those who turn to God and repent bearing the punishment for their wrongdoing and providing the righteousness that they require. Eddie talked about that a month ago. And if you missed that sermon, I do strongly recommend you listen to it online. All of our sermons are on the website. I will, however, add a few words about this issue of righteousness, because Isaiah has a lot to say about it in the final bits of his book. When uh, thinking about our state, we frequently talk about our need for forgiveness from God. And that's right. We do need forgiveness from God. But we need something else as well. We need righteousness. We, We need to be in good standing, right standing before God. And the Bible is clear. We get that right standing through a life lived in obedience to God, a righteous life. And, And when we're thinking about what Jesus did on the cross, we sometimes use the analogy of a crime being committed, that we've we've committed a crime, 
We've been found guilty, but Jesus comes and bears the punishment. And that's good. It's a really helpful analogy. But but we need to recognise it's not the full truth. There are other aspects of what's going on. Because, you see, what we really need is to be declared not guilty, righteous. And the problem is that the charge is the failure to give allegiance to God, rebellion against God. And we're all blatantly guilty of that charge. However, Jesus is blatantly not guilty of it. He lived a righteous life in obedience to God. And the Bible tells us that if we have faith in him, then we will be treated as united in him and his righteousness will be attributed to us, imputed to us. Go back to Isaiah 53. We're told, we all like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Those words, justify many, could be translated, provide righteousness for many. Cause many to be accounted righteous. And that's why, uh, in the famous passage beginning, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, the passage quoted by Jesus, It says this regarding God's people. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord. Our righteousness is established. It's unmovable like a great oak. Why? Because it's provided by God through Jesus. So the first thing Isaiah is saying is that... uh, God's servant, Jesus, through his suffering, provides forgiveness and righteousness for us. And then the second aspect of redemption. Isaiah says that the Messiah, God's saviour, will come in judgment to usher in the new world, the new earth that we've been reading about. Now, I spoke about that last week. I'm not going to repeat it this week. Again, if you missed it, Listen online. And then thirdly, and finally, and coming back to what we're looking at specifically today, Isaiah tells us that the Messiah, Jesus, will be the ruler of the new earth. He considers that mainly in the first few sections of his book. And we haven't looked at it since Chris spoke from uh, Isaiah chapter 11 two months ago. Again, listen to it online. But we are coming back to it because today is the first day of Advent and it will soon be Christmas. And I'm sure that at some point over the next month we will hear the following from Isaiah chapter 9. For to us a son, a child is born. To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Jesus is God's eternal, perfect servant king over God's eternal, perfect new earth. And we, if we repent and turn to God, may be inhabitants of that new earth. That's God's planned salvation. That's the gospel. That's the Christian hope. And you may think that that is also the end of the sermon. But it isn't. At least, not quite. You see, if I were to finish there, I'd be behaving as if Isaiah ended his book at the end of chapter 65 with that great vision of the new earth. But he didn't. There's another chapter. Why? The answer lies in the nature of the book of Isaiah. It's evangelistic. Isaiah is sometimes called the fifth evangelist. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Isaiah. The book is full of appeals for a response. Awake, listen, arise, seek, come. Delighted to see somebody looked up when I said awake just then. (laughs) Do you remember this from the first sermon we had from the introduction to the book God's challenge come now let's settle the matter says the Lord though your sins are like scarlet they shall be as white as snow though they are red as crimson they shall be like wool if you are willing and obedient you will eat the good things of the land but if you resist and rebel you will be devoured by the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah has set before us a tremendous description of God's salvation, culminating in the new earth. And God invites us to come and enjoy that salvation, to repent and turn back to him and receive his salvation. But Isaiah has also talked about judgment. The alternative to being an inhabitant of the new earth, an inhabitant of God's eternal city, is to be in the graveyard outside the city. And thus the book ends. As the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure. From one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. And they will go out and look on the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. The worm that eats them will not die. The fire that burns them will not be quenched. And they will be loathsome to all mankind. All people have a decision to make, and it has eternal consequences. That's the message of the book of Isaiah. Amen.